Today's episode of the Film Stage Show is brought to you by Mubi, a curated streaming service showcasing exceptional films from around the globe. For your free 30-day trial, go to mubi.com slash filmstage. back ladies and gentlemen to a brand new episode of the film stage show the movie review podcast for the filmstage.com as always i am your host brian j rowan with me today we have michael snydell hello hello we also have bill graham insert horse noise <laughs> you're not gonna give it away just say nay <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty good I, that was yeah okay <laughs> i wasn't expecting that <laughs> Anyway, um, uh, with us today, a special guest who may or may not also attempt to make a horse noise. It's Isaac Feldberg. I think I may leave you wanting more on that count. Oh, but, but they, oh God. I will Jesus. make a bad joke. Thank you, you so much for having me, guys. all over. No. <laughs> In the podcast now. And we're done. Thank you for listening. Remember to rate, review, subscribe. Teed oh. that up. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't resist. I'm I sorry, don't even, guys. I don't no, even know where to no, go from here. No um, apologies. <laughs> for anyone who didn't read the uh, podcast title before clicking and is confused as to why that's funny, uh, we are today talking about The Wanting Mare. Um, Isaac is here to help us do that. Isaac, would you like to introduce yourself to the audience? Sure. Thank you very much. Uh, my name is Isaac Feldberg. I'm a freelance film critic and journalist. Uh, I'm delighted to be here talking about The Wanting Mare. It's a film that I caught last year at Virtual Chattanooga Film Fest. I'll plug for them. And uh, it stuck with me ever since. So I'm delighted to to be here on the Film Stage show. Absolutely. We are delighted to have you. Before we get into everything, the usual rigmarole up top. Uh, we can be found on Twitter at Film Stage Show, Facebook, The Film Stage Show, Email us podcast at and of course give us a comment rating on iTunes. You can become a patron of this here podcast by going to patreon.com slash the film stage show. There's a little $1 an episode. You get access to our Slack channel. Where you can talk with all of us and uh, the people who are also patrons. Uh, there is always some crazy nonsense going on in there. So that is a fun way to keep yourself occupied during the uh, hours whiling away what is now our, I don't know, what is it, like the 11th month of quarantine? Is it really? Oh, my God. Here's the thing. Yeah, it is. Because um, I remember because this is like my my distillery is creeping up like in a couple weeks on our grand opening, like our one year anniversary. And I know that it was like two weeks after that, that everything shut down. Lovely. Yeah. Good times. Um, What else? We are also brought to you by Mubi, the curated streaming service that showcases exceptional films from around the globe. Movie every day introduces a brand new film for you to watch, hand selected by their curators. It is a timeless classic, a cult favorite, or an acclaimed masterpiece. It's guaranteed to be a movie you've either been dying to see, or one you've never heard of before. Some interesting stuff coming to Movie. Um, of course, Kathy Ann's debut, Dead Pigs, is premiering next Friday. They will yeah, I've heard good things about that one. Yeah, there's a trailer that uh, came out today that I have not seen, but um, I am excited to watch that. We also have. Sarah Polly's 2012 documentary, Stories We Tell. This astounding documentary digs into a family history to portray the director's mother through a patchwork of stories and materials. 
By disclosing her filmmaking process, Sarah Polly audaciously shows the past we construct may be warped through the lens of both our memories and cinema. However, the one that I really want to highlight is Submarine. Uh, British comedian, uh, actor, and director Richard Ayode's wonderfully offbeat debut stars Sally Hawkins, Patty Considine, and the best coming-of-age anti-heroes. This cult anti-romantic comedy will still warm your hearts with its acerbically Welsh sense of humor and intense portrayal of teenage angst. I remember seeing this movie at one of my first ever press screenings, which I attended as a uh, person who simply stood in line for three hours to get into (laughs) the screening. Hey. Yeah, back in the days when I did not have any press accreditation and I had a surfeit or a, just a plethora of free time. Um, this is a really great film. So if you have movie, you should check it out. If you don't have movie, you can get a free 30 day subscription trial. A free 30 days by going to MUBI.com slash film stage. Again, that is MUBI.com slash film stage. One of my fondest memories of being a part of the people that actually waited in line before I had press accreditation as well was uh, going to Scott Pilgrim versus the world. And I think uh, people waited upwards of like two hours in line ahead of time. Um, And I remember the people sitting in front of me had a distinct conversation where one turned to the other and said, what's this movie about again? (laughs) I'm like, you you've been in line for two hours, sir. What what are you doing with your life? You you dedicated two and a half, like four and a half hours to this mystery thing. The 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 gophobo people. Um, <laughs> yes, they, Jesus Christ! Wow, I, 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 had to I haven't heard that name. Those. <laughs> they they sit there and they do do that. They just they print out every they they they. I don't know what their lives are like. They, I, I literally have I no idea. I don't know what they got to do. They have nothing to I do. Mean, I saw the same group of people. Imagine if they actually wrote reviews. If they wrote <laughs> reviews and like made some money off of this, like that would be an actual thing. But like, yeah, they're there at like four o'clock. And I'm just like, how'd you get here at four? Yeah, like, they're just the retired or underemployed. And they just are like, this is a free movie and I have nothing else going on. And I get to see it before everyone else. I, I became friends with these people. It was crazy because I would, no matter how early I would show up, they'd be sitting there in their folding chairs <laughs> and they would be like, yeah. Hey, Brian. And I was like, Oh my God, what do you, what is your life like? <laughs> <laughs> I d- even, you know, up in Boston, I know that I've been to screenings where there's been similarly people who will just queue up when they see a line. It's not even clear what the line <laughs> is for. <laughs> They're just, like, for good? They're, they're just like, if it's good enough for these strangers, then it's probably something I should get in on. And then it turns out to be like Hot Tub Time Machine 2. And, yeah. and they walk away happy is the, is, is the end of that story. The first time I walked up to that line and people were like, oh, buddy, you're late. And I was like, am I? And I like turned to the guy with the clipboard and I was like, Brian Rowan, film stage. And he was like, you can go in. And they were like, oh, my God, look at you. And I was like, yeah. I rule. I get it. Anyway, that's a fun trip down memory lane, considering that literally this weekend I found out that this is going to be the 10-year anniversary of this podcast. Indeed. Wow. Oh, God. <laughs> Why? Congratulations, friend. Don't Take know. a shot, everybody. Yes, <laughs> let's raise a glass to 10 years of this nonsense. Um, I want to go back and listen to like the first episodes, not to be like, oh, I was such like a, 
uh, halting, like unprofessional. I want to hear how young and full of hope and joy I sounded. <laughs> and then I want to listen to like four podcasts into the pandemic to see just the drop in my voice. Do you know what it was, Brian? The first episode? Yeah. Yeah, it was uh, the, the Cabin in the Woods. Okay. Was it really? Yeah, it was. The Cabin in the Woods. So yep. crazy coincidence. The Cabin in the Woods was my first ever press screening. Oh, Wow. Which is, that is a bizarre coincidence. Yes, I was um, an intern at the Metro West Daily News outside of Boston, and the paper's uh, film critic, Robert Tremblay, uh, took me. I was, you know, had to beg him for like months to take me to a screening. This was before I was, you know, in any way established as a writer. I was I, in high school. Um, and yet he just like, you know, scooped me up and took me into Boston, and I saw a movie that I had no idea what it was. Um, it just mattered that I was going to a screening, but it turned mm-hmm. out to be The Cabin in the Woods, which is, you know, still one of, I'd say, the best horror movies. Is that t- 2009 or 2000? 2011. 2011, right. Yeah, of course, 10-year anniversary. Yeah, one of the best horror movies of, I would say, that decade in terms of just sheer surprise factor. Yeah. Oh boy! The the Slack channel does not like this movie, but I I fucking adore the yeah, cabin in the woods. woods great. So. Anyone who doesn't like it can go straight to hell. Um, she's <coughs> the old thoughts. <laughs> no, I I think it's I think it's fine. I just have trouble with Joss now. You know. Yeah, uh, he's he's not as connected to that thing as, as like that's true. People. He's half of the writing team. Like that's yeah. And yeah, he probably but Drew, like but Drew Goddard. Drew Goddard yeah, is, it's, it's has Goddard. definitely emerged as being someone to watch. I mean, Bad Times at the El Royale as well. I think. Oh my god, I love you that know. movie. It rules. Don't, don't no, oh. don't get Brian started on that. <laughs> In a good way, though. Like at least it would yes, be a positive I know, I know. rant. Um, yes. what was I gonna say? Um, yeah, I mean, oh, oh, the other way that Joss Whedon was involved is they, uh, he, oh, Franz Kranz probably was clinging to his leg when he walked in the door, and that's how he got cast. <laughs> and now Jesus. look at him yeah he had a big sundance film that he directed uh, mass is, is his right that's right that's right incredible movie i mean you know I, I had no idea who he was outside of cabin in the woods but it turns out he i mean and also dollhouse which is again whedon but yeah. like uh he had, you know was a stage actor he was on stage in broadway with um philip seymour hoffman at, at points he you know has definitely carved out a space for himself in the theater realm. So I was impressed by mass in terms of how, how much it felt like a contained play, which I was just not expecting from, from Marty the stoner. Yeah. I, um, I liked him in, in cabin in the woods and I liked him in dollhouse. Yeah. I mean, like I don't, li- he's I don't definitely, he's a definite like standout. Uh, right. I think I don't dislike it, Frank Kranz. The joke wasn't that he no, sucks. It's just that he's very closely tied to Joss Whedon. Oh, no. And he also sure. appears I, to be very I, small. I don't know who, whose contribution it was. It could have been Franz, it could have been Joss's, it could have been Drew's, but, you know, the uh, I've searched far and wide for that coffee cup bong that he has in the movie. <laughs> I have to say, I've never seen a cooler thing in a movie. Than- it, it actually, like, weirdly makes sense, too. Like, it, it's not just, like, a gimmicky thing where you're like, oh, that's definitely, like, bullshit. You're just like, oh, that that actually looks... Real, like it could work. Like, yeah, yeah. That, that looks that that looks like that actually is something that they picked up somewhere, not like they developed for the film. <laughs> and I guess I guess it turns out that that's that's going to be like an Etsy, Etsy thing. 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> First engineers it for like five hundred dollars. Far like, more hey, useful God. than anything James Bond ever had to make. <laughs> I don't know. I still want to watch the shoots lasers. Um, though again, it's completely impractical. Uh, seems like a bad idea, but I want it. Anyway, um, what what are we what are we even talking about? Um, <laughs> the wanting mayor. Yes, we are going to talk about the wanting mayor. Um, before we do that, uh, quarantine updates. How's everyone doing? Uh, Isaac, have you been handling everything? How's life where you are? Where are you, by the way? I'm outside of Boston. I, you know, I went to school up in Boston. I'm still up in this area, so I am good. We are recovering from the latest snowstorm that's kind of slammed into us. So it's amazing. Like as soon as there's precipitation, everyone forgets that there's a steering wheel in the car. So <laughs> and, and, you know, I've been I've been hiding. Uh, to make sure that exact well i mean it's boston that happened a few years ago but um (laughs) but yeah no i'm doing well you know no complaints um all healthy up here and just kind of excited to to i was just at sundance so i had a bunch of great movies to watch to keep me busy and uh i'm excited to talk about ones with you guys this has kind of been what's keeping me going in quarantine how about you guys is Boston one of those cities where people will put out cones in their parking spaces downtown? Yes. Definitely. Oh, definitely. No. Definitely. Where won't people do that, Bill? Yeah. You, like, oh, I'm sorry. That's Dallas da- where it doesn't snow. <laughs> well, listen, when it snows, all hell breaks loose out here. Uh, but also people freaked out when it was sleeting the other day a few weeks ago and they were like snow. And I was like, if it doesn't last on the ground for more than five seconds, it's not snow. That's that's glorified precipitation. The first flake falls from the sky and someone throws a trash can through a storefront and screams helter skelter. It's just <laughs> That that's what happens in Dallas for yeah, sure. Dallas in the winter is not a fun place. <laughs> no, it's I, not. Nowhere in Texas <laughs> during winter is it fun. But I've yeah, said it no, before. I, I had to teach a bunch of Texans how to make a snowman when it actually did like accumulate like one Christmas Eve, and I saw a bunch of people using rakes to, <laughs> to try to bring the snow into a pile. And I was like, what the fuck are you doing? And they're like, we're trying to make a snowman. I was like, let me show you something. And I made a snowball and I started rolling it and it got bigger and they lost their goddamn mind right at their face. At that point, it should have been like lessons over. Get, get inside kids. You don't, these were not kids. These were like 20 year olds. Oh my God. (laughs) You're just like snow just bringing knowledge to the Texans. (laughs) Your, your wordplay is on point and I am furious about it. I have to say, made, you know, I made a horse. I made a horse noise, and you made a horse pun. Uh, yeah. And now he came up with Snowmetheus, which is just yes, Jesus. Uh. I'm sorry. I, you know, I just was, you know, so warmed up by all of the banter at the beginning of this. It's, you know, it, I have <laughs> to say, you know, on, lost on, time. On, <laughs> for for better and for worse. It, it, <laughs> It certainly, I mean, on the note of, of cones in Boston, I do have to say that I have a friend in Somerville who was putting one out and I asked him about it. And I was like, where do you get a cone? And he said, oh, I found it. I, I, I said, I, I said, he said, I found it on the streets. And, <laughs> and so that's and so, not how things work. They're so, only... I just like I had to think this through because he in order to mark his parking spot, 
took someone else's cone that they were using to mark their parking spot. <laughs> and now that stolen property is what he is using to mark his territory. Well, I was going to say <laughs> it's, it's, it's just that, beautiful. Or he took it from like an active road work thing where like now someone's going to fall into a pit and die. <laughs> yeah. Or just blow oh. out a tire. Yeah. Yeah. Well, t- two crimes make a right. That's how that's how that works, right? <laughs> that is Boston noir. Yeah, you've never seen a revenge flick. I mean, <laughs> someone kills your wife, but then you kill like twenty people. Suddenly, you feel better. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, anyway. Puppy is equal to hundreds of people. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I would say that I would kill more people over my dog than over anyone that I've ever been with romantically. <laughs> You know we're recording, right? <laughs> he just wants it on record. It's okay. Uh, yeah, hold me to that. <laughs> I put that on a dating profile. No, that's that's that that is still an opening for future, but it is a very very adamant shut off of the past. Right. Re- really, what it means is that anyone who's interested in me can be like, oh, I don't have to worry about his exes because he literally loves his dog more than all of them. <laughs> So really, ladies, all you got to worry about is the dog. Um, unfortunately, right, right. she is charming as shit. Um, let's 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 move on. What are we doing? Here? Hold on, you're talking about one though. Which one? Which one? I only have one dog. I thought you had two. That not for like three years now. Oh god damn it! I'm sorry, Bill. Oh Bill, I'm sorry. And I hate my condolences, Brian. About three years ago. <laughs> No, no, no. He he wasn't good with the the child as as she was getting older. Oh, so okay. he had to be. He's he's li- he's literally living on a farm now. Oh, it's not oh, a euphemism. Okay. He's oh, actually. Oh, okay. <laughs> anyway, we are here today to talk about the Wanting Mare, uh, the future debut of uh, writer director Nicholas Ash Bateman. Um, this movie is very difficult to describe in a single log line, so I'm just going to roll with what they've got on IMDb. In Withrin, a line of women pass a reoccurring dream through multiple generations. So, uh, that is the movie we're here. Jesus. Okay. What do you want from me? (laughs) I read more, but that's fine. That'll work. Okay. I don't know where Reddit though. Yeah, I guess it wasn't on on IMDb. Yeah, I guess not. Um, anyway, here is the trailer. You know what's crazy <laughs> is Go that on. in watching this trailer, uh, a name popped up with a quote about this movie. Do you know whose name oh, that was? Oh, did it? Oh, did it? Yeah. It's our very own Isaac uh, Isaac Goldberg. What's up? No, oh, wow. Yeah. I was yeah, I was very very surprised by that, but you know, of course, glad that a movie I really did love when I saw at a, I saw it at Chattanooga last year. I'm glad that those words are being put to good use. They are. So, they are indeed. More so, than my usual ones. I've I've gotten quote tweeted uh, or quote 
I guess quoted. Pull, pull quoted. Pull quoted. Yeah, pull quoted. I, I don't know why tweet. I say quote tweeted. <laughs> I've been I've, quote tweeted too. It's never good. <laughs> <laughs> I've uh, I've gotten on a few advertising campaigns here and there, but the one time I was actually uh, like, I had an a review that someone wanted to submit for like a pull quote and they like expressly the PR agent like reach out to me and was like, Hey, we would love to use this quote. Would, would you give the okay? And I was like, yes, sure. Like I love this movie. And, uh, other than that, like I've gotten like screenshots and things from random people that are like, Hey, look at this. Did you know you were in this? I wish they would reach out to you ahead of time and just be like, hey, you're on this uh, this thing that we're about to post and advertise on. Uh, how did you find out that you're on this? Um, oh, boy. It was a little bit. It was a little bit ago. I, I'm pretty sure that I actually got a DM from the film's account on nice. Twitter that was asking whether or not it was OK to use it. So. So they're in the clear. Uh, they they did ask. I've definitely found it before that, especially it, it's interesting. Even with the bigger studios, that oh, they, yeah, they, so, they, some, shit. they sometimes just will go for it. They're like, "What are you gonna do?" <laughs> <laughs> like, I found my name on the back of an Orange Is the New Black season four Blu-ray one time. <laughs> True story. <laughs> which is also Netflix, which is like rare commodity to find. I know. Back of a, know. physical media. It's funny is that they only put out season four on Blu-ray. <laughs> it, they it used happens. his quote. They were like, "We got to go to press." I know it was that good. I mean, I mean, you know, in in an instance like this with uh, with that quote, uh, it came out of a piece that I did for Roger Ebert's website last year that was actually rounding up films that I'd seen on the festival circuit that were still mm -hmm. at that time seeking distribution in the U.S. at least, nice. um, if not in all territories. The Wanting Mare hadn't been uh, picked up by anyone yet. It's been now put out by Gravitas Ventures. At that time, it was, you know, just um, it was coming off of actually a win at Chattanooga, one best narrative feature, I believe, but they were still looking for a home for it. So I was especially happy. I was like, sure, if if this will actually do anything towards getting this movie out, then I'm I'm more than happy to put uh, to give you permission to use anything you want from my writing about it. And I feel like you know most film critics, especially ones uh, who are delving into festivals, feel the same way about that. I mean, mm -hmm. unless unless you're being taken out of context, which I, has not thankfully happened to me yet, um, you can you can usually just. Uh, use festivals to see like the the best kind of upcoming stuff and talk about it and try to get people excited about it if it is worth getting excited about so um mm -hmm. i don't know it's one of my favorite places to see movies i'm just thinking about it a bit now that we're all coming off of sundance like you yeah. you really don't know where these movies are going to go after you see them at festivals um yeah and well, yeah. th that's that's the the common refrain from a lot of you know uh people that attend festivals is like great i saw this fucking amazing thing nobody's picked it up and like you know you check back in on it on three months and you're like 
nobody still picked it up. So my review is basically useless. Like nobody's going to be able to see this fucking thing. <laughs> and, you know, I think Brian's mentioned it a couple of times. Like he went to TIFF one year and like did a whole what like a three-piece podcast about like I, his whole ventures down there so yeah and i did well i mean it was I, I crazy because i i did like, a, i did a podcast that was basically like every day i just like i recorded myself through the whole day mm-hmm. <laughs> and um so it was like six episodes because it was like including my car ride up yeah and yeah back. yeah and then i wrote like 10 reviews and i literally think one of those movies maybe got any kind yeah. of u.s distribution it's, it's fucking yeah. it's bananas sometimes you know that that's that's the way i feel and uh, you know i, I kind of shut it down after this but that's that's the way i feel about sometimes writing about the shorts is i'm just like guys this short was amazing but holy shit like i don't even know what i'm doing writing about it because nobody's gonna fucking see this thing it's just it, uh, thankfully nowadays shorts a lot of them get just like put onto iTunes for like a buck or something like that. And so at least people have some kind of access to it. But back in the day, Jesus, like some of these shorts, you just be like, cool. I saw this on a big screen. Like nobody's going to see this on a big screen. So yeah, festivals are, are weird discovery places where you, uh, your hopes and dreams die as a film. Like review, you're just like, wow, that's amazing. Nobody's gonna see this fucking thing. All right, I'm gonna write five thousand words about it. Here we go. <laughs> yeah, I will. I, you know, I mean, it's it is good at, that we've now got these streamers that have such deep pockets as well that are attending festivals and looking for stuff. Mm-hmm. I feel like as well that has been like one of the the benefits of streaming is that we're seeing so many more movies get direct to consumers either through these services or even just through VOD. That's now, especially in COVID, a legitimate release strategy for a lot of films. So Mm -hmm. I'm hopeful that we'll see less of these films falling through the cracks, though I do understand completely what you're talking about in in that vein. And it is always exciting to see something that's a little bit of an avant-garde choice get picked up and, and put out. I mean, like, um, you know, movie, you know, your host is, is absolutely one of those like chief among them, uh, a service that picks up films that I don't know where else they would go. Sure. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm grateful as many of those services as exist. Um, I'm, I'm happy for, um, even if not all of them get $26 million at Sundance. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, definitely not. So let's get into it. <clears throat> yes, please. Yeah. Um, so Isaac, what are your, what are your basic thoughts on the wanting mayor? Oh, well, you know, I'm on record obviously as a fan of the film. Um, it is this movie that I find, I find it difficult to categorize it within a single genre. It's, you know, a science fiction film. It's a fantasy film. It is a tone poem. It has a very kind of elusive narrative and very striking visuals in its vision of this future uh, this future world that is not by any means um, a world that you'd really want to live in. It's uh, this dystopian uh, future Earth where Witherin, you know, the city that was mentioned in the premise that was given, um, is just like this kind of this hellish sweltering place where people are living and kind of trying to figure out what life is at, the, at this point in this, in this world that is no longer really hospitable. 
Um, and, and so I was just really struck by the vision of it. I feel, I feel like it's difficult to talk about the film without acknowledging that this is a small uh, DIY feature that was um, pioneered by its writer-director, Nicholas Ash Bateman, over you know, more than half a decade between him you know, shooting at where he could in this very Spartan kind of um, uh, shooting schedule around the East Coast and in a New Jersey storage unit and coming up with all of the visual effects himself, doing these beautiful kind of digital paintings to kind of project on the background. It's this tiny film that feels quite immense when you're actually watching it. I don't know if you guys would agree with that. Well, let's find out. um okay um so here's here's the thing i i i do find a lot of these diy uh, sci-fi films um or it doesn't even have to be sci-fi i guess there's just a lot of uh american and non-american indies that are doing uh low budget high concept Films. I mean, like things that came to mind as I was thinking, like something like Monsters uh, from Gareth Edwards, mm. um, Skyline, uh, which I, I think has far more uh, effective sequels, but still very much like extremely low budget and in, in an apartment that they shot an alien invasion movie <laughs> or, uh, you know, something like uh, one I really like. Is it Coherence? Am I being stupid? Yeah. Coherence. Coherence is a great yeah. movie, yeah. Yes, I really like Coherence, which is, you know... James Ward, Byer Kids movie, yeah. That, yeah, the, essentially a Twilight Zone rant, but still something uh, that feels expansive. So yeah, I... The Vast I guess the of thing, Night. <clears throat> the Vast of Night, yeah, the... Uh, all right, anyway, I've done enough examples, <laughs> but I, I guess that's all to say that um, I think my thing about this is that it's both to it's if it wanted to be this obtuse i wish it didn't try to repeatedly explain the dynamics between the characters i think that the dialogue in this for the most part uh felt largely awkward to me in, in terms of those uh, character dynamics, what you know, whether you're talking about uh, Moira at the beginning, or you know, Iran uh, and is it Era, Era and Hadian, and you know, you have these vignettes of characters, and I think in terms of their physical reactions with each other, I found that a lot more convincing than some of the dynamics they tried to articulate with them. I, I mean. I, I was excited early on when um, just very randomly they embrace I, in a moment and it, it jumps through this whole relationship. Like this isn't the first like 10, 15 minutes. It's not really a spoiler, but rather a sense that like this movie is is very loose with time, which I appreciate. Mm. But then – I, I really wish then that there was just so much less dialogue or maybe the the word that I was coming up with in my head is that I wish it was more transactional because I think that so much so many of these scenes are there's just like protracted pregnant pauses and I think if you're going to commit to like visuals here that like we, we will talk about the backgrounds here because of course it is course. insane what they did with i i believe it's twenty thousand dollars i'm trying to 
bring it up, but uh, the budget is extremely small given given the scope of what they're doing here. Um, but I think given some of the textures they have here, it was funny. I, I DM'd Brian uh, when I watched this, and I'm like, they are so sweaty. <laughs> I can't handle <laughs> They are very sweaty. <laughs> but that's that's all to say that I like a lot of the visual ideas here, the ways this isn't super interested in guiding you from place to place other than the dialogue, which I think is, does way too much trying to bring in more than the dream. Um, So I guess if I really wanted this to commit, I almost wish it was almost even silent. Um, Hmm. So yeah, I, I think that there are ideas here and it's something I certainly admire in the same way of those films that I mentioned, but I ultimately just found it kind of awkward and it just wasn't, that world wasn't quite as seductive enough to bring me in. Hmm. All right. Bill Graham. So, I had some similar issues with uh, this film. Um, But again, I always am going to admire a film that shoots above its, it's kind of, or I guess, I guess a, a better metaphor is punching above its weight. And I feel like this film visually definitely does that. Um, I think the visuals are not the problem. I think the the storytelling here is kind of the follow through is the issue for me. Um, this film is right up my alley because it's short. Um, and yet I found myself very disinterested in the film at certain points. Um, It didn't hold my interest as much as I wanted it to. And I was really looking forward to this. Um, You know, it's, I believe this is the film that Shank Ruth had some. No, 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 no. He was dropped as a producer. He was was dropped. He was dropped. No, no, no. But he had very little to do. And they have been very transparent about this. So I I need to clarify this that after the allegations and a number of things, he has not had something to do with it for a long time. Yeah, that's that's right. The uh, uh, the tide has kind of turned on with with all the Amy Simon stuff and everything else that's that's kind of come out. Right? Is 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 it Amy Simon's? Yes. Uh, yeah. With in terms of that as well, I can just speak to that quickly. Uh, you know, Shane Carruth had put his name on this film as an attempt to help it reach a wider audience mm-hmm. uh, out of a connection with the story. Uh, but this is Nicholas Ash Bateman's film, and it, it's been his for so long that uh, I will agree that Kareev's influence on it is really a flash in the pan and uh, in a way just like incredibly um, upsetting and unfortunate from the perspective of someone who, uh, you know, will champion indie filmmakers every chance they get. The fact that, you know, uh, there's absolutely no reason that Nicholas Ash Bateman at that point in time when Kareev approached him should have turned that down. And, you know, if I'd been in his position, I wouldn't have either. No one could have really known unless they were close to him and had firsthand knowledge of him uh, that he had abuse in his relationships and that he was the kind of person who would uh, become ensnared in that kind of thing. I'm, you know, 
Yeah. Uh, I have a lot you know, of pain you're, you're a person, for, for that as well. You're, you're a person who worked for five years on this movie, right? And so yeah. I would assume that in some spiritual way, you probably at some point look at the, you know, primer and upstream color and you're like, yeah, that's what I want to do. And that shows that I can do it. But like, Caruth had nothing to do with the making of this film. And then, and then, but you're yeah. at a, you're at a festival or whatever. And then Caruth is like, dude, I dug your film and I'd love to put my name on it to like, give it some juice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course you fucking say yes to that. Like, that's great. And then you find out that he's apparently a terrible person and you're like, all right, I would like your name to be off my movie, please. Like, yeah, there's, and, and I will it, say it is that, incredibly you know. natural that all of that should happen in the way that it happened, given all the things that we know now are true. Yeah, I, and, and they they were very quick in terms of you know yeah. when this story hit press, it was not much of a decision, yeah, from what I understand and from what the producers have communicated uh, in press that you know they didn't want him to be associated with it based on what they had learned, um, and so yeah. you know the the speed with which they did that, and you know in the in the piece that I wrote for Ebert, I did. Um, at that point, include a clarification about Karuf's role, just because at that point it wasn't um, mm. that that stuff. That story was breaking around the time that that piece ran, um, and the the speed with which they moved is pretty admirable, given the size of his influence at that point in time. They kind of put themselves at a distance from him before it was clear that the fallout would be as immense as it was, and they did it because they knew it was the right thing to do. So I think that their hands are fairly clear there. It should be said too. David Lynch <laughs> tweeted about this recently, so maybe, uh, maybe uh, that's sorry the... uh, about the wanting mayor or about... yes. Oh, yes. that's fantastic! That's fantastic. What did Lynch say? Uh, I'm sorry, I literally just had it up. Keep talking, and I will find it. It was just a. It was just an audio recording. Um, it sounded like a cat screaming at a goat, and um, <laughs> <laughs> I've been led to believe that that's a very positive statement from david lynch i would say i would say so based on his body of work but you know that's the kind of filmmaker that i would expect would kind of would support a film like the wanting mare which does as you say punch above its weight and really to me has such a thematic depth and complexity and an emotional resonance to it that isn't all there kind of at the surface but it is something that you know the longer i've sat with this movie um, the more kind of ways I found to interpret it, and we can get into all of that later. Um, I, I, I believe, I punked, guys, it's 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 a critic named David Lynch. Uh, <laughs> wow, it's wow. David Lynch with, in, with the name wow. real David Lynch. Is that true? Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, <laughs> well, he is a I real did. David Lynch. He is a real David Lynch. You, you does he have a, did, uh, does he have a you blue did check? not perjure yourself. He does not have a blue check, but he is a Thank great God. critic. <laughs> um, he's a great critic. He's a Critics Choice member. He is, uh, you know, the, also another person who I would expect would be talking about the film. You know, I, I have to say, I think I would have, now that you say it like that, I think I would have heard if David Lynch of Twin Peaks was talking about the wanting mayor today. <laughs> but, you know, maybe this will be the shout out that gets him to do it. Maybe he's a secret film stage show listener. Yeah, David yeah. Lynch, consistent. <laughs> Until Brian said The Return was not a movie. <laughs> 
Well, it's now not you, a movie, now you David. Said it again. He's got to dig into it. But thanks, Brian or Michael, for bringing it up to the front. Okay. Anyways, our our listenership is down ten percent. Thank you. Uh, anyways, uh, so yeah, I you know w- with Caruso involvement as tentative as it was, as soon as his name was kind of attached to this thing, immediately my my interest was kind of spiked. Right, like he is kind of the indie darling that that was that has now been you know uh erased rightfully so um and you know his attachment to this project definitely brought a little bit of a credence to it that uh you know maybe just the uh festival buzz didn't didn't have enough um for me at least and so yeah i i was wanting to get a lot out of this film um this film though what it does that i like is that it gives me so much more to kind of chew on and think about than it actually kind of displays and and gives you as a narrative directly um which is again like better and for worse like sometimes that's a good thing sometimes that's a bad thing and it all depends on on your kind of experience with the film but i don't think this is a movie that you won't be able to talk about um after watching so um in terms of cinema in that direction where it's a you know a, a kicking off point of of commentary on maybe our realities or maybe some some future alternate realities whatever you may want to interpret this as like there's definitely something to think about and chew on and uh you know if if any bullshit movie whether it's made for 120 million dollars or made for twenty thousand dollars like if it gives me something to talk about after the film like i i think that's a clear and obvious win um and so yeah i i look forward to talking about this film more and definitely having you know uh isaac as a part of this podcast will uh hopefully give us a little bit more insight and kind of opportunity as, as he's had some time to sit with the wanting mayor. As for me, um, I don't think this movie really worked for me at all. Um, I think the, the first thing I'll say is, and this is just a funny, like personal connection that I have to this movie. So the first, the first like title cards come up and it's like, you know, in in Withrin, like the wild horses are, you know, captured and they're shipped across the channel to Levithan. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, that's that's like the uh the the ponies on Shankatigue and Assateague. That's crazy. And then I find out that apparently Nicholas Ash Bateman is from Baltimore. And I'm just like, yeah. Oh, of course. So he would know about the Shankatigue and Assateague ponies. What is the, what does that mean, Brian? Oh, you don't know what that means? Is this? No, I, always, I don't. It's so weird. This is not a Boston. Yeah, this is not a Maryland centric podcast. What the <laughs> fuck are you doing? Come no, on, I'm, get, I'm get the fuck out of here. <laughs> so, so the, the okay. So there's there are these two. I I want to say they're both islands. Um, there's a kind of pony right on this on this island, uh, Shinkatigue, and what what happens where, is where is this, this island? This is in the Maryland Virginia area. It's it's okay, localish to me. And yes. so they're these ponies and every year they, the Shinkatigue volunteer fire company has like a pony penning day. I think they call it where they like 
to help control the population, they like wrangle up some of these ponies, which, you know, migrate across the channel and stuff. And then they drive them to the place and then they have an auction. Yeah. Yeah. So and, like, and it's, you know, it's funny. There's a, a children's book series by Marguerite Henry that I think is probably the biggest representation. Yeah, Misty that, of Shinkatig. Misty of Shinkatig. And uh, I think it was adapted into a film with David Ladd, Misty, at, at one point. But um, yeah, no, it, it is one of those things. It is like the first most striking image of the wanting mayor. So that's so great that you have that personal connection. Yeah, so because I was like, oh, this, cool. this is like, this is definitely not not necessarily uh, region locked either. There's uh, there's a documentary called uh, Wild Horse Wild Ride, which basically they what wrangle up wild mustangs and you know put them to auction basically and uh, train them up and then you know sell them based on how well they do at at things training and everything like that. And yeah, but there's something yeah. about carrying them over a body of water where I was just like, Oh, this oh, is okay. like very, That's... very acetique, shinkatig type mm. of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I have, I have, uh, I have camped on those islands and, um, the ponies are pretty much wild. They are, they are not treated like, you know, show horses. It's, uh, it's pretty cool. Uh, if you're ever in the area, um, go check it out. I think I'm like three hours away from there now. Maryland is a shockingly large state. If you remember, there's an eastern part of it. Shout out mm. to the eastern shore of Maryland. You do exist, guys. Um, oh, I'm sure there's, there's someone listening from there, and, and we wish you well. Yes. How those sisters doing? Um, anyway, so yeah, I uh, so that was interesting. And then, like, you know, it starts, and I'm 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 kind of into it, but I, I feel like around 30 minutes in, I was like, I I understand, and I have seen enough, and I don't know that I'm going to get any more out of this. Is that and, the end of the first vignette? Just correct, to be clear. Yes. Okay. Um, and I just, I, I don't know. I just never, I never picked up. I never, I never reconnected after that first vignette. And it really, honestly, a little bit before that first vignette kind of ends. I feel like the movie <clears throat> goes for kind of uh, an artistic obtuseness every now and then when mm-hmm. it would really benefit from just telling a little more straightforward what's happening. Um, there's a point where someone finds a baby and I was like, let's deal with that baby. And then the baby disappears for like 10 minutes. And I'm like, I guess I'm never going to find out what happens to that baby. Um, it's, you know, but like, I don't want to, I can't, I cannot deny that the way this movie looks is, is crazy considering apparently how much it costs to create. And it's, yeah. it's awesome to see something like this because I remember I had once a, an interview with someone on this podcast. And if I were better at my job, I would have looked up the person's <laughs> name uh, and been prepared for this, but I'm thinking of this contemporaneous with, as I'm speaking. Um, so I'm I, I had it up now, Brian. <laughs> cool. Um, he was a, he was a producer on spanking the monkey. I remember that part, but anyway, he was talking about like the digital filmmaking revolution. And I was like, you know, a lot of people seem to think that, uh, all these digital tools are going to like cheapen movie making. And he's like, it should cheapen movie making. Like, can you imagine like, you know, a uh, hundred years ago, you couldn't take a photograph and now you can, you can take one with your phone. Like it was a prohibitively expensive. And now the barrier for entry is such that like, you know, we're putting cameras in everything because they're just so cheap to produce. Like now people who never would have been able to get the money to get like 35 millimeter film and then like a Panaflex camera or whatever can now do this. So like the storytellers will 
be able to tell their stories easier and and um, create on mm. their own what used to take like uh, marshalling hundreds of thousands of people. And um, and I agree with that. Uh, I thought that was a very good point because like even the you can't paper over talent with just a lot of money, uh, no matter how hard Marvel tries. And um, it's it's cool <laughs> to see. Take a drink. <laughs> <laughs> it's cool to see this uh, this movie come out that clearly has a voice. It clearly has an aesthetic. And I just it I just wish that like it had worked better for me. But there there was there was just aspects of it where I was really engaged and really interested but i mean even even just uh isaac listening to you talk about like how hellish uh witherin is uh, i was literally like why the fuck do people want to leave this place it seems <laughs> like given some of the post apocalypses or like post lapsarian whatever's i've seen like this is pretty all right like this yeah. this girl's hanging out on what looks like a beautiful vaguely english peach <laughs> and um you know, no one seems Got to be nice starving house. to death. Yeah, like you know, it's it's, you know, it's. <clears throat> I always think to myself, Room like for expansion, should should the world ever collapse, I need to immediately get south because I will not survive the winter up north. You know, like, and so looking at this, I'm like, yeah, you know, it seems like you could hang out there. It'd be all right. Like, no one seems to be. And this again might just be the, the the restrictions of you know basically shooting this in a I think it's a what a Patterson New Jersey warehouse, and you know not being able to to fill it out as much as you'd like. But I feel like almost like what Michael was saying, like if you're gonna have these people speak in the way they do, maybe just like have them do the tiniest bit of exposition. Um, if you're not gonna go full silent, full tone poem, to to give me an idea of like what the problem is here, because. Yeah. There's still cars sure. that are running. There's still guns. You know, there's still phones. Thank God for guns. You got to have the guns, man. You got <laughs> to have, have guns. guns. Um, this isn't like Bunraku where it's either fists or blades for everyone. Um, <laughs> that would have been the... a much more, a much bloodier movie. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm so glad that I made a reference to Bunraku and people actually knew what I was talking about. Um, I'm pretty proud of you for that, to be honest. I thank think that's, you. I think that's cool. Your this approval means everything. It's like you're right? on a on a film podcast. But. Still, that's one of those movies that I feel like isn't isn't cult enough to be like well known, but also isn't like big enough that you might have heard of it on accident. It's just so very niche. Yeah, it's almost like it doesn't exist. Um, but anyway, yeah, I mean, talk talk about a festival premiere that um, you know didn't quite translate at the box office and didn't get picked up. But you know, believe it or not. Because I not to be you know a scholar of, of Bumraku or anything. <laughs> no, please. Um, no, Terrence please. Blanchard did that score. Oh uh, wow! You know, de- defy defy oh, bloods, Terrence defy Blanchard. Bloods. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and you know, a lot of people involved in that movie have gone on to bigger things. I know Keith Calder produced it, and he's gone on yeah. with um, Blind Spotting and a bunch of other and uh, One Night in Miami, of course. Um, but yeah, you you never know. I definitely. You know, I, I'm glad that The Wanting Mare has come out because just listening to you guys talk about this as well, this is a challenging small movie that um, I, you know, I'm grateful people are getting to see it because so many movies that kind of operate on this wavelength uh, with this level of budget might languish in more obscurity than would even come to, you know, the level of the film stage show. Yeah. And I mean, <clears throat> I think that the the seams show a little bit i think that there's only so many times you can shoot someone in a mid shot in the center of the frame 
yeah before before you start to be like oh right because there's this this environment doesn't exist i think that it makes what one of the things that might make the the first section appeal a little more to me is that it takes place more outside that there mm. is a little more naturalism in the movements and everything um even just having even just having moira singing in a room where there are no ah. windows so that you don't have to you know have your digital matte painting you know and you can just exist in that space with her and the camera can move and and you know be directly on her face um just makes it a little better and that's again mm. i'm i'm this none of this is to be like so why did he bother like what's the point like i'm so <laughs> i'm so i'm so in awe of what it took to create this that i can't like totally diminish it i just i do wish that there were a little something more and that the that i just i just connected with the story more i, I feel like labor of love is such a cliche at this point but this is but, so like, why the fuck would you ever film. put this much effort into something that you weren't in love with like that's <laughs> yeah you know, some people be like oh my car is my labor of love and it's like fuck you it's a car <laughs> like you're not you're not machining new pieces for it you're going to AutoZone once a month like this thing I can't even imagine. (laughs) Completely. Completely. Talk about this thing. So I'm looking at the effects studio. So this, this film has very much been a launch pad for other effects stuff. And so like there's movies you expect, like they're, they're actually doing a lot of the green Knight work. They're doing work on, uh, Wendy, the, uh, uh, which which is out, right? Wendy. Yeah. That was sad. That was Zeitlin's. Uh, save yourselves, which it was also at a fest. Okay, but the one I need to ask about: what effects work did they do on Free Solo? <laughs> is is Free Solo a lie? Is is that what's happening here? <laughs> Those are very good questions. I I, I hadn't realized they worked on Free Solo, um, which is you know an amazing doc about Alex Honnold, um, but. Yeah, I, I would believe it. I mean, you know, if they were trying to get a shot and kind of make it run a little bit smoother, integrating it and doing the patchwork to make sure that two broken shots can flow as one. Um, sometimes like it's not removing oh, the the documentarians from from it at some point. Like, oh, you know. maybe yeah, wire or yeah, some wires with camera angle. Yeah. yeah, I would believe that. Sometimes VFX work is very unshowy and very practical and very just uh kind of technically minded what you need to do to kind of maintain the movie you're making yeah i mean Um, like even like i love watching the special effects reels for for movies that you don't expect special effects in like the wolf of wall street like yeah just just the shot of the prison and it's like yeah it was a country club but we uh removed 95 percent of the frame and replaced it with a prison (laughs) it's just like oh okay all right I, I think, okay, but to be more productive rather than <laughs> wondering about free solo, I, I think that the the thing I will say about the, well, there's uh, two things. One is actually the second vignette was the one that was most interesting to me, mm. uh, I, in part because it does have some of those motifs that you talked about, Brian, a lot of that central framing mm-hmm. stuff. But I I liked the way that it uh, it blocked the bodies. And there was just, you know, especially like um, 
uh, Era, like there's so much emphasis on like his shoulder blades. Like in a way, you know, it, it reminded me, it was reminded me of like Matty Diop's uh, Atlantics from uh, from a few years ago. Like it was just, it had a certain. Absolutely. There's a certain yeah. texture there that I was really feeling. And then I feel like every time they talked, it kind of disrupted that a little bit. But to hmm. lead further into like world building, like uh, Brian, I, I very much had your same thing where I was like, what's wrong with this place? But I kind of liked that I was trying to suss out <laughs> what, what are the things that are missing. And, and like, I think that kind of goes back into the idea of this dream in, in a relatively interesting but not totally successful way to me. So I, I'd love to just kind of like use that as a launch pad. Like, what do you, what do you guys make of, um, of Withrin? Seems yeah. like a cool I'd, place, could, man. I go there. <laughs> seems a little sweaty. A Every little once hot. in a while, you find a baby on a beach. You know, <laughs> that motherfucker just leaves her with the baby. First, he finds it. I mean, this is this was kind of what I was. I mean, I guess we're in spoilers we, we, we now. Do, yeah, we, we do need to <clears> officially <throat> mark. We are in spoilers it's now. It's very difficult to spoil this movie. Yeah, we're you know we're in spoilers now. So, uh, well, the end. Check it out. Um. So like them yeah he intersecting he, he like finds a baby brings it home and then goes on a heist and then brings the baby <laughs> to his his paramour and is like um I'm out Haley Williams is in this yes not 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 that paramour <laughs> oh boy oh boy but yeah I can do it too I think if, <laughs> I think if no if Jordan Monahan was redhead she still wouldn't look like Haley Williams. <laughs> Jordan Monahan is a terrific actress in this as well. I have to say, like, I thought that she did such an amazing job of navigating the dialogue. I, I agree that the dialogue is very uh, kind of heavily symbolic and elusive in a way that's not entirely realistic to the mm -hmm. world. But at the same time, I feel like the actors carried it off with this kind of weight of purpose about them that I really found uh, to be just kind of compelling from a sense of, I feel like everyone involved with this project throughout the filming process, throughout working on this thing, um, kind of had the sense that it was going to be something that had a heft to it. Um, mm. and you know, to be a filmmaker of Bateman's size and get all of your performers on board with that, um, because I really, you know, I didn't have a problem with any of the performances in terms of any of them taking me out of the movie in particular. I thought that all of them were strong um, and all of them were kind of hitting the same vibe. Um, I especially loved Christine Kellogg-Darren uh, as the elderly uh, kind of version. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, she, she was great. fantastic. Yeah. Um, I, I think that, you know, all of them are so on the same page about this being a very freighted kind of movie and in, in terms of the the dialogue in terms of the the world building of it and you know i think that the key that i found into this world is that the dystopia that it's depicting uh is is emotional as, as much as it is uh global and physical and external like it, it's inside these characters as well there's something that's kind of broken there sure. and there's something and there's something that's really uh just Kind of fallen out of sorts and i i think that the dream is really key to that in terms of how it's these characters who feel this burden of this memory of a time when things were better and the fact that they know it exists in this world where other people 
don't have that vision and they don't have that constant reminder of times when things are better, other people can kind of just get on with it into the machinery of this kind of ruined world. Um, it, it's kind of like, you know, the magic has completely evaporated from this place, but they're the yes. only ones who have memory that it existed. And then in, in that way, I think that they really, um, the, the film becomes about longing and it becomes about this feeling of what, do, what do we actually have in this world where we don't have the thing that we want? See, but I wonder if that in some way, it's attempted scope undermines that in the sense that like, I, I, I like, I, I really love what you're saying there. I, I mean, I feel like something like annihilation, uh, you know, was exploring something similar to like uh, that, even as it gets, uh, you know, more abstract with its visual effects, but like, mm-hmm. but it's, um, I, I think the thing here is that, you know, when it goes, outside of those few locations you know you know you get that great isolated space where she listens to music you get this house you get this seaside and then when you're kind of reminded that there's a nearby city i just can't get a sense of whether you know i i i don't know it's like it doesn't quite do enough with those environments to give me a sense of what and how that malaise like has has like uh sorry I, is experienced and in the sense like you know you have a heist for instance that they're going to you know a tremendously depressing card game and and, and some of those things you know are, elaborate that a little bit but then you have you know a dance club like at, at a certain point i was like okay is it an electricity problem is there some physical uh, problem here like you're like sometimes the landscape looks barren and sometimes it's very fertile They've got like the birds <clears throat> the birds that are flying around i am um, i will say that i think i think i was fine with the uncertainty during the first vignette it was the second one <clears throat> that really threw me off um with with uh ira and hadian Mm-hmm. And I think I don't I don't have any fucking clue what's going on with Ira. Like I just I was <laughs> <clears throat> I'm sorry. My throat is apparently trying to have a mutiny. Um I just I lost all track of what the hell was going on. And like I knew almost immediately like oh this must be the baby, you know, whatever. Yeah. That's fine. But like she she's like this is why I am the way I am. And I'm just like, I don't know what's happening. I don't understand. I don't like, I don't understand this character. I don't quite understand their motivations. And, and, and Hayden is like a, a gangster. And then he says he like wanted to be better because of Ira. But like, I didn't see that. Like, I think that, I think that there is just, whereas the first section felt economical through its lyricism and everything the second section just felt like super compressed to the point of having lost any sense of connective tissue or action like Mm. when it's just two people and one of them is you know shot and the other one is lonely and the you know you're like all right well here develops a romance and they have a shared goal of trying to maybe get out of this place but like i i just i didn't see anything happening with Hedian and 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 Ira and I just like just had no idea what I was doing there for the longest time and then luckily it does circle back to Lawrence and Moira again 
and suddenly I was like, okay, back on board. But it really that just kind of highlights, I guess the, the 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 I don't want to say meaninglessness and pointlessness, but to my mind, it the the lack of necessity of of Ira and, and Hadian. And I don't know if anyone else felt that way or has any opinions about that section, but. Yeah, I, I would, you know, I would politely disagree with the, at least the kind of the pointlessness of it. I think it does further the, at least what I got out of what Bateman was going for with the film in terms of this, this question of lineage of what you really pass down uh, to your kids and this question of what this dream has done to her uh, as a person. And and I feel like the the question of the dream is really central to what we're talking about in terms of what uh the wanting mayor is going for as a film in terms of how it succeeds in terms of how it frustrates and perplexes uh and i think that um i definitely see what you're saying about there being this ambiguity that's a little bit um of a hurdle that you have to surpass in order to kind of reconnect with the film in that second vignette i definitely think that it doesn't make it easy for you immediately to see who you're watching and to really grasp the connections there and why you should care as much as you did in the first vignette. But what comes into focus for me through it is this shared kind of aura of, of longing and missing out on this, on this vision that she has. And this question as well of what happens when she tells another person about this dream that is of a different world that has practically been forgotten. Uh, it, I think it's a, you know worth noting that after those disclosures are made, um, these these women cannot kind of move on. Uh, they they become so kind of transfixed by the question of the dream that it consumes their lives in a way, and it consumes their ability to earnestly connect with other people around them, and it also tantalizes the men of the film as well kind of drives them away from this more pure love that's rooted in presence and immediate kind of connection to the, this question of what's on the other side of the ocean. Um, I think that, you know, the, the imagery of the horses kind of crossing between oceans is incredibly pertinent to that. The, this idea of a creature that really wants to be free, but will also kind of trace the boundaries of its enclosure and eventually find happiness there as long as there isn't this constant lure of something else and even sprinting out of the out of the uh crate as soon as it crosses completely the sea too i i think well i it's it is interesting how brandon and i seem to have somewhat similar feelings about uh, parts of this film but we mm-hmm responded to different sections in the sense that I, again, I, I think it's the second section. I just was feeling uh, such a sense of body language between those two characters that the certain questions I had about, I guess, especially the tickets, the thing about the tickets to me mm-hmm. is that, you know, it seems like they're very much based in deception in, in all three sections, you know, you know, you have, um, uh, I'm sorry. Who is the other character with Moira? Um, in, in the man. Yes. You're talking about ba- the one who who Bateman is playing. Yes, that's uh, right. In in his youth, which is also you know worth noting, he's an actor in this as well. Um, the Lawrence. I did Lawrence. Lawrence. Yeah, you're right. Lawrence. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm sorry. So like Lawrence, you know, we find out later 
uh yeah we're in spoilers okay <laughs> lawrence we find out later you know obviously uh kept a ticket uh from her that he had we, we know that uh ira and hadian like there is some transactional back and forth about whether you know at first he's trying to get two tickets then he gets one ticket and and i just think some of those things that are more symbolic and you know i like generally the idea of the ticket there and and the and what it represents in terms of the boat but like i feel like at a certain point that stuff becomes oddly convoluted (laughs) as much as it is rendered in such simple simple ways I i mean you go to that scene where uh oh sorry where um where uh, Hadian is, you know, trying to, uh, it's unclear what he's trying to trade for the tickets or what exactly is happening. And, and him going over to a, a box with what could be more tickets or documents and something. And it's, it's not like I need that stuff to be totally lucid at all. But I think, again, it's trying to do a middle there that are almost two two clashing modes of storytelling in a way like if you want to work in a in a metaphorical logic like you have to make like the actual plot then pretty clear (laughs) so the idea of like what the tickets mean i mean maybe i do need more exposition there or i need something more objectively like here is it is a deception or or i i don't know i i just think that you can have a vagueness there um and make it feel purely emotional i mean like there are directors you know like i think of like uh, I, I think it's Leo Akaraz, uh, Mavisang or Holy Motors. And those are movies that like, yeah, like one of them is about a heist, but like you can't follow the heist whatsoever, but you can follow the emotional logic. And that's, yes. I guess, what I ultimately wanted to succumb to rather than wondering, okay, why is he trying to get two tickets? Why is he trying to get one ticket? I can understand the idea that he doesn't want to lose her. But why show me this rigmarole of him going back and forth? Um, or why show me uh, it's someone having to do a heist? Like, uh, just those things ultimately feel um, like another another example of scope without clarity, I, I, I guess. I, I don't know. There's a lot of contradictions here that I just made that I'd be interested in what other people have to to say there about the storytelling yeah does anyone else want to chime in i feel like i've been talking a lot i mean you um, were the guest you you get you get first crack i i I do think that that's a great comparison to to leo carax and like his his style because i i find that there's like a similar um like a poeticism to the wanting mare and also a focus on the way that love exists in the in the worlds that are depicted i feel like that is so often the fo- the the center of movies like holy motors and uh i i really felt uh and this is also also a question of personal taste but i felt like the emphasis on the relationships made me think a lot about the reality 
for these characters living in that world. Um, we've talked a little bit about the fact that it doesn't seem totally inhospitable. Um, and I think that's true. And I, I think that there's something that Bateman's going for there that I find quite interesting in terms of the way that this world is not all that disconnected from parts of our own currently. Um, you know, part like places where the weather is go- growing increasingly inhospitable, um, places where industry has more or less elapsed, uh, places where there is so much kind of machinery of trade and commerce that's kind of sapped the soul out of a place. I felt like there was something very extremely transactional about Witherin. Um, It it wasn't a place where anyone could really enjoy the landscapes that they were in, striking though they are, because they're so focused on this kind of rot from, you know, everyone's a gangster. Everyone's a smuggler. Uh, Everyone's trying to get this ticket to get somewhere else other than where they are. And I feel like there's a melancholy to the film in that that is very rooted in character and very rooted in this emotion of characters who don't get to leave and the ones who do. And the question of what happens to relationships when people are always wanting to be somewhere other than where they are. Um, and I feel like, you know, describing this movie as an epic sometimes does not serve it best because I feel like it is in those character moments. And I, you know, I've spoken with other friends about this. Um, film critic luke hicks who had a mixed review for for, um he had a mixed review for i believe film school rejects um he made the point that you know calling this an epic doesn't do it uh doesn't create create the correct expectations going in necessarily because because it is a film that i think quite smartly knows it doesn't have the budget to be an epic and so it focuses in on the emotional reality of these characters i mean i can't think of that many sci-fi dystopian films that are so focused on just kind of depicting the connections between its characters and not explaining the world. I I think also part of Mm -hmm. this is the fact that Bateman has talked about seeing this as the first in several films that would be set in this world, this greater world of Mm -hmm. Um, Mm Anne-Mare. And so you're not getting everything. And I wonder if he will get to make more. I hope he does, because I would like to see... Like there was enough, like just enough in The Wanting Mare for me where I felt like the tone of it was so compelling that I would love to see how that expands and what would change. I can't imagine it would be the same kind of film at all. Anything else you would make after this. How much does this cost to make? $20,000? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So if he gets approved for a credit card, I mean, he can make another one. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you know, we could all pitch in. I I think that, you know, we can come up with something close to that. Um, I, uh, I mean, no, I, I think I, I agree with what you're saying, Isaac, and I and I like a lot of what you're saying. And it's all the stuff that I liked in the movie. But I, I do have to agree against my better nature uh, with Michael Snydell um, that, that <laughs> I, I agree with a lot of what Mike's saying as well. I, yeah. I will. I will. I will say that. But I, think, I, I love this. Everybody think, say how smart I am. <laughs> well, it's it, I think no one said the, you were smart. Yeah, you, you a blind squirrel finds a nut every now and then. Um, all, right, all right, come on. That's what you get. That's what you get for thinking you're loved. Got to slap you, slap you back down. Um, we're a family here. Uh, not a this is this one, is live though. film Twitter going on right now. So here's oh, the no. thing. I I I think that I, I what you're saying about the connections and and the 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 weird kind of like we don't even know what the world used to be like and these people are so far removed. But this woman has a dream. 
and the dream is enough of something different than what she has that it makes her want to go anywhere else but where she is like i love that that's great and i was really into the movie while that was happening but like i said it's that it's that it's after the half hour mark it's that second part where it becomes a little more a little more like okay we got we're wheeling and dealing we've got a horse now there's this thing and they, they just they couldn't connect the emotions that much and so when even as you're talking about the interiority and the the lived experience and the connections they're forging like that's i think why the why i have that problem because like i can't feel that connection in that part as mm-hmm. well and i i i don't want to say that it's the fault of uh the whoever is is portraying uh ira but it might be partially that i did not find that to be a wholly uh successful performance for me mm. um but also I, I think that i think that just it's again it's a it's a um a symptom of or a, a fallout from this this weird thing about the tickets and then uh, unfortunately the tickets thing comes back when when yeah. uh lawrence and and moira return into one another's circle and i i just was a little bit lost as to what they were trying to do or say there like you know he yeah. he had a ticket I, but he didn't want to give it to her because he didn't want her to leave but like at that point he'd only really known her for like two hours and sure, she'd pulled a bullet from him. Like that's nice of her, but like, is that really yeah. enough? Like, you know, they are, he... they they are these like concentric circles, aren't they? The the narratives of it, the way that they they all kind of come from this same emotion at the center of them throughout mm-hmm. these different stories. Well, yeah, I, I, I think I, you I could. Think I think film... you could play with that Casablanca esque angle a little mm. bit if you really wanted to, but it, it, it's, it, there's a balance that's not being struck, but the weird part is that the balance it's, it's like, instead of it tilting to one side, it just like cracked the, the lever over the fulcrum for me. It just like each, each mm. independent lack of strength somehow weakened the whole structure and it, and it fell apart. Now that being said, I, I like the idea of seeing more of this world because I am interested in it. This this movie and this is not a knock against like the special effects or anything, but it does remind me of like when you're playing a video game, and almost like something like um, oh oh what's it called Shadow of the Colossus, oh yeah, where mm-hmm. you know you get these sweeping images of this broken place and you see just enough and see the hints of just enough to make you want to explore it more, um, and, and then pop up happens. <laughs> Jesus Christ! I mean, like, uh, like I remember becoming obsessed with Shadow of the Colossus because I I love that I love I love intimations more than I love like you know a general sitting down and being like as we all know forty years ago when the Great Impact happened, you know, like I don't need that, but like like let me explore a little more, like show me a little more, like I'd I'd love to know more about the Carvin statue or the uh, the advertisement painted on the wall, you know, like things like that. I'm I'm really into and so like like Michael said again like a little a little less talking or a little more talking would have would have helped out a bit. I, I think one thing that's interesting about this kind of discussion and where we're going with it a lot is the fact that like that second vignette doesn't quite work for a lot of people and I think part of the reason is this is like storytelling 101 that. Like it's very difficult to get our audience hooked in and kind of 
invested in two characters and then switch perspectives and have two different actors and have two different, you know, characters come in and try and continue that kind of, you know, tossing of the football or whatever you want to kind of, uh, you know, transferring of the baton or, you know, any of these sports metaphors that you want to kind of put in. But like it, it is very difficult because what you end up doing is you end up comparing and contrasting, even if the film doesn't want you to do that at all. Like, and so you end up comparing and contrasting how invested am I in these characters and you're frustrated because you've been left behind by the previous characters. You don't know what's going on with them. And so, you know, it, it is a tough ask if you either a lack that kind of conviction to really kind of uh, pull the audience through or the actors just aren't the same caliber. And and for a smaller budget film, you're always going to struggle with, you know, finding uh, actors that are that are up to the task in in some way. I mean, certainly, there's there's no doubt that when you sign up for a production that costs twenty thousand dollars, you know, y- you are clearly putting your heart on your sleeve as an actor, as a producer, as a set piece designer, as anyone mm. of the, of this cast and crew, right? Like you you're not signing up because you're going to make a lot of money out of this. You're signing up because this is what you're passionate about so you know it it hurts to critique and criticize anyone that's that's part of this and and to know and say you know i don't think they were you know of the same caliber but you know that that is ultimately where the storytelling kind of lends us to kind of you know compare and contrast and it's it sucks because it's it's like it's so hard to think of a film that really does a good job of you know, dropping off two characters and picking up with two other characters in that similar vein where they're not, you know, it's not a $20 million, $30 million film where it's, you know, got great. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great, it's a great example. When Bill was talking about that, I, I immediately thought like, Place Beyond the Pines is exactly like that. It is, it is, it is the, the structural similarities are, Quite striking. Um, There's some Derek San France in here for sure. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> you start off, you start off with uh, Gosling, and then I'm, you know, I guess spoilers. Uh, well, I don't really have to say it. He he metaphorically drops out a window, and sure. um, <laughs> <laughs> well, now you've all laughed. Good one. <laughs> so uh, and very then, very inconspicuous. And then you switch to Bradley Cooper. <laughs> Yeah. And then you and then you're like, okay, all right, I'm still driving with this. This is cool. And then it switches to the kids and you're like, who the fuck are these people? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Especially because yeah. like, you know, kids almost always make a movie worse. And um I, but like, you know, <laughs> that, Jesus Christ. Okay. I just I yeah. can't you can't it's No, not that's fine. It's fine. It's not a lie. It's, it's not fine. a lie. Um I refuse to apologize. But like, luckily that movie is so strong. Right there, Ryan. <laughs> She's asleep in the next room. Um, and we will never make a movie about her. So, you know, it's, it's the kind of, th- but luckily with the place beyond the pines, you, you're by that point, you're already so invested because you've been through like two separate parts and they tie it in pretty quickly and clearly. And also those performances by those kids are, are actually pretty strong. Um, mm-hmm. was one of them, was one of them Dane the guy Dahan. who I don't like? Yeah. Dane Dahan. 
Yes. <laughs> Dahan. Um, Dahan. Emery yeah. Cohen is the other one from uh, Brooklyn. Oh, from Brooklyn. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So yep. those are those are two people who have been and can be good and were good in that situation. But again, I think mm-hmm. I think there is just something about this one that, to Bill's point, like uh, it has the deep misfortune of following up the first part of this movie, which was really quite fantastic. And I think it's also in that second part that they really start leaning more on the um, the blue screen and effects shots and everything. Mm-hmm. And so, sure. yeah. in addition to the one of the performances, I will say, because I thought that Edmund uh, Coffey was was really good. Um, you know, in addition to those becoming a little more staid, the the camera work becomes a little more staid, and um, it just it it just starts to it wears a little thin, or it becomes a little repetitive. I don't I don't know the best way to put it, but there is there is a sure. gear shift that I did not enjoy. I mean, I mean, period. let's. Let's let's be very brunt and and kind of honest about the fact that like if a film can grab you within the first fifteen minutes, it's done its job, and for it to shift narratives and shift gears in this way and expect to do it again is it's just so it's just so hard and it's so difficult and and I think you know our frustrations with with the second and third half of this film are the, wait a second. Third, Think about what you or, just said. Uh, thirds, thirds, thirds. Sorry, <laughs> thirds. I, I mean, you know, periods. Yeah. Thirds. What's math? Like a hockey <laughs> game. Anyways, um, but yeah, you know, I mean, it, it is a tough shift, and it is a tough ask of the audience, and and it. I mean, kudos to him for for having that kind of narrative gumption to to go for it in that way. But I mean, you know, when your film is working. Do not shift gears, please. You know, especially you know in in these kind of situations. I, mean, um, I admire, I admire the. I won't call it audacity, but the courage to do that. You know, to to do. Yeah. That. Um. It's here's the thing. We've been talking a lot about like cerebral ideas and highfalutin film stuff, but we got to talk about was that horse eating a body? Yes. <laughs> yes, it was. That horse. Oh, yeah was definitely taking chunks out of a body, a that, body that was decaying like yeah like sands and sands in an hourglass yeah there was definitely like, like uh some some spiders inside there at at some point i was like oh there's there's some uh creepy carlies in there yeah it was wait it was are there very... not spiders in all of our bodies oh boy <laughs> I, I i actually i'm not sure if i remember this is spiders, not in I believe you. I believe you. If you say it, I remembered it being more that the body was kind of disintegrating. I thought it was yeah, crumbling, yeah. but I also had to watch yeah. this on my computer because my Vimeo screener wasn't working on my Roku. Oh no! Which is a, a whole. That is a sentence <laughs> oh. that would confound our founding fathers. Yeah, yeah. it's true. <laughs> Vimeo <They> would... perfect. <laughs> Vimeo is perfect, and we will never say a bad word about Vimeo, especially Vimeo... while in, while indie TV still draws breath. We will not say a bad word. <laughs> Yeah, Vimeo, um, Vimeo is still is still amazing because this is the only time I've ever had a problem with it. Whereas every other screener platform, I literally would yeah. rather I don't know. It's just like mm. I'd rather have to like kill a small animal with my bare hands than use them. Anything that allows me to screen to a bigger screen is is a plus material to me. But and that was the problem and is my Roku. These, 
wasn't working I, I know, I know, Vimeo. but generally, generally, it it allows this to happen, and right. that's what I'm saying is is a lot of these other platforms are like you're fucking watching it on whatever screener you know you first logged into, and it's like wait, 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 I logged in on my phone. Like, what, did, what did I do? And it's I just like, wanted nope, to check yeah. if my your, your link one token is gone. <laughs> you're like your no. your, t- your ticket across the movie C is is, <laughs> is cashed um, oh man but yeah. no i, I it is you know on a, a six and a half inch screen i'm like this, that, is, this is the way god intended <laughs> it, it is true i mean like i'm glad i watched this on the i'm glad that they sent out vimeo screeners for this because you know vimeo also preserves the the picture quality so yeah, much better than a lot of yeah. these other services and this is a movie where you want picture quality in like some parts, it seems like you know you might think those com. are spiders. <laughs> oh, yes, you talked exactly. at the same time. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, sorry about that. No, um, no, no, no. You were going first. I said it's fine. No, no. I well, I was just going to say that you know, um, this is a film where you do want to be paying as close attention to the visuals as you can, it, mm-hmm. because you know it isn't a movie that you know like your your typical Marvel thing that is putting the CGI so front and forward and making it the point. Mm-hmm. I was really struck by the way that the CGI was integrated often into the backdrops and into the stories, and you know that might be in part because of budget, but I also think that it speaks to what we've been talking about in terms of the the focus on character. Um, that scene where the horse is eating the body, like to to just bring it back to the spoilers, because I find that to be such an interesting shot. Um, I feel like the movement between the first and second part of this film uh, does kind of ask you to draw a connection between those characters somewhat directly, just through forcefully moving you from one set to the other. Uh, and that sequence where this um I, th- where you know there's the death in the film I'm not, I'm not sure if we want to go into the specifics of that but you know there there is a death in the film and there is that sure. scene where the where the horse is um grazing at the body it seems like and taking something from it uh and i felt like that was really interesting in terms of the symbolic value of these horses as being in some form the essence of these characters and kind of carrying on in a way and being free in a way that these characters never really can. Uh, and I found that to be really interesting. I mean, it's right there in the title. Like these women are, you know, paralleled with the horses in a lot of ways. Um, mm. But to have that kind of transfer really captured for me the idea that what was being depicted there was this cycle. Um, and this cycle that inc- that happened on kind of a world level as well, and an ecological level of what happens when you die. Will you know you disappear, or will something take something from you and use the essence of you to kind of carry forth? Um, it's such a quick shot, though, as well that you know you you're kind of left to wander. Um, sorry, uh, yeah, you're left to wander. I thought I made a pun there, but it is the wanting mare, not the wandering. <laughs> not mare. the wandering mare. <laughs> not the wandering mare. It's okay. I saw the variety of you calls him Bachman in the review, so I'm 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 cool with my typo, my mental typos. At least I didn't print them. Um, but but yeah, no, it, it is one of those things where uh, that shot does. It's one of the many shots in the movie I find that makes you really think about what you're watching and how it relates to the world and how it might relate to the part of the world that you're not seeing. 
Um, and I, I think there's something going on with those horses, man. I, I really do. Um, it it was, definitely, yeah. This is the stupidest thing, but like when, when Hedion's on the boat and he's like looking at the horse supply, what am I? It's, I'm so tired. The, the horse, like <laughs> the, 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 the stable, the of racks horses? of horses, you know, yeah. I kept expecting it to be, I, you know, and this is like the stupidest thing, but I expected it to like, cause they think like. Oh, the horses are being brought to this place to like be horses. And I just kept expecting to see like a crate get like picked up and like dropped into a shredder or something. Like, I just, I was expecting some sort of weird, like, oh my God, like Soylent Green is horses type of thing. And I don't know why, but I just like had this, this feeling about that. Um, Yeah. I think I I get that though. Right. I I think it's, it's a, it is a, it is a compliment to the movie's sense of unease and and the otherworldliness of it that like you you accept this reality for so long and then when you're like getting a glimpse behind the veil you're almost like oh god like what if they've lied to me like what if i don't know what's gonna happen um so that was that was super interesting um to to see that and then to see the horse bust out and charge off into the wilderness the winterness i i would like to say one more feather in this in this film's cap uh is is the fact that the more i think about films that are analogous to this other than maybe anyara but other than yeah. that so many of these other sci-fi films I, I was i was thinking of i was just looking through my letterbox and i was thinking of like 444 last day on earth uh we already mentioned coherence Pony pool uh oh sorry uh, time lapse like all of those movies are essential essentially bottled uh bottled in one room and like you know for whatever we're saying about the emotional disconnect this movie does not stay in one room even or or one location even in a way that you know you expect that first 30 minutes you know we're already in four locations and then for the rest of the movie we're we're in a variety of other places that you don't necessarily see in these types of films because so many of them, all of the action is in one room by virtue of budget constraints. And and Anyara, too, is like, you know, uh, that ship is it's relatively contained, um, even though I, I bet there's a lot of wizardry going on there uh that's comparable to this but again i i do think that's something else that um i I want to give this film credit for even if the storytelling doesn't always work for me no i just want to watch on yara again (laughs) yeah beautiful film as well that's the one i love that film um i still remember still remember watching that film like alone in my house. And when the, the Chiron came up that said cults, I was like, yes, give it to me. <laughs> give it to me. Um, yeah. I wonder what the Chiron for this would be. If, if you were like, if you were scrolling through and it was coming up, what, what words would you use to describe this? Oh, see, no, I was talking about like the, the chapter titles in, in Anyara. Um, oh, oh, right. Of course. Sorry. Yeah. I, th- I was thinking like Amazon X-ray kind oh, of. Oh, God. Yeah. Think, yeah. Well, <laughs> thinking that kind of thing by Chiron. Of course. Because you friggin' yeah, people Anyara. keep calling it sci-fi. And I don't like, is it like this is another world? Is it not? Or is it our world? Sci-fi, fantasy, so, alternate. Like, what's the science, Michael? <laughs> Show me the science. <laughs> I don't know, the horses, man. The, the, 
spiders feels like, feels like any any replication of the physical world is by its very nature scientific <laughs> biology bitch <laughs> biology yeah. fiction that's what it's called I definitely, you know, Bio even effect. looking back on what I wrote about it in that that article for Ebert, you know, after this conversation, that's probably the only part of my review that I might consider revising is I'm not sure if it's sci-fi necessarily. If that's like the best way to encapsulate it because, say you like, know, fantasy, fantasy, but it's like a realistic fantasy. I, re I really feel like, you know, it's operating as well on an emotional level that is worth noting in terms of the genre. Like it, the films it was reminding me more of were like Cloud Atlas and mm -hmm. um, oh, Stalker, like, like Tarkovsky and, <laughs> and, and, uh, and like, you know, classic sci-fi novels like, um, like ice, like Anna Cabin's ice, like that, that kind of more character centric movie. It, it's almost like you could call it a character drama without being wrong. Yeah, I, I would yeah. I would roll more towards like, you know, drama, dark fantasy type of thing. Mm. Fantasy is dark such a <laughs> it's such a bullshit term, fantasy, because like literally anything that you like that didn't happen is a fantasy. You know? <laughs> yeah. Like, I think you're getting hung up a little bit on this. <laughs> I don't know. Genre is so nonsensical to me. Didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's a real movie. I mean, that that's the thing about it is like, you know, watching this, I was just so blown away by the the vision of it. I, the, sometimes, you know, of course, it is ambiguous in a way that isn't always to its credit for a lot of viewers. But, um, you know, I never felt like I was not watching something that was worth my time or attention. I was I was pretty, you know, riveted by just the idea of figuring out where it was going and why I felt like it was so suffused with all of this meaning. Um, yeah, even I mean, if it doesn't quite surface all of that for a, for a first time feature length, you know, just like what an ambitious, what a goddamn project to undergo. Like, you know, it's not like, right? it's not yeah. like clerks, which, you know, clerks is a fun movie. But like <laughs> it's, it's not fucking clerks, you know, it's not even yeah. to that extent. Right. It's sucker punch Kevin Smith like that. I'm all for that. <laughs> he apparently already blocks the film stage on Twitter, so I don't have to worry about him. Um, was that from Tusk or Yoga Hosers? I think it was Tusk. Uh, God, fucking Tusk. Get the fuck out of here. God damn, I watched that in a theater. <laughs> I love I the will, indignation yeah. of I watched that in a theater. I had to go to so a place. How dare you? <laughs> Now, now when no I have not been in a link for that, when I have not been in a theater for the longest time that I've ever not been in a theater for my entire living human mortal life, I would still rather not see Tusk in a theater. <laughs> anyway. What if that was the only movie they would play after this? <laughs> no, fuck it. It's the only way to make sure that I... no one goes, so we don't spread the disease. Um, <laughs> What's a Tusk executive order? <laughs> what was I? I was gonna fucking say something, and now I can't remember. <laughs> um, you were saying you were saying oh, about the vision. It, it's right, not Kevin I mean, Smith. So like even even like like Brick, like Brick is a movie that is like it's not. I feel shitty being like this, but it's not like early '90s indie. Oh, what if we just had a tape recorder and like basically ad libbed or like had some friends or whatever? Like sure. Brick is a real ass movie. Brick has like whip pans and like interesting staging and I don't know if whip pans what I'm what I'm saying is like if you look at a movie like that was part of like the indie boom they would sometimes be like if we just have like 
two characters who are vaguely interesting, we can basically Brick. mount the camera, yeah, do yeah. a two shot and still get into Sundance, you know, but Brick is like storyboarded, like choreographed, like interesting, like visual storytelling, not just a decent ish script with charismatic performances that we shot in a weekend, you know, but this is so far above even that where it's just like for my first for my first movie i will be creating a uh, triptych decade spanning <laughs> dark fantasy post apocalyptic world wherein and it's just like okay proceed like that's right for it. Yeah. like that's what it's you like, want to that's what you want to yeah. kick it off with you realize that danny boyle waited like 8 movies before doing sunshine right okay Go for it, man. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's... And it's like, don't you want to see that second trick as well? Like after, you know, after that's the intro to, to Nicholas Ash Bateman, I would like love to just see, Oh, I will want, I, because he's going to do more stuff. I mean, this is a movie that is making waves and he has demonstrated his expertise in visual effects, especially I have a feeling he's I, Isaac, going on to something. You wouldn't, you wouldn't know this. Uh, but uh, y- you said a keyword that that will just set us set us off. So I just want to let you know. waves. Oh, waves. I wasn't even oh, thinking I, about that. As, as in, like, as in Trevor Schultz waves. Or yeah. what, what are you talking about with waves? We hate the waves. Um, the, no, the, the, would... the Virginia Wolf waves or Trevor <laughs> Schultz waves? No, the White Schultz. Sargasso Sea is. <laughs> what am I? What am I doing? Um, no, the three sixty <laughs> rotations. So what I I was going to say is, I mean, I I was going to make another joke like, oh, well, if he just gets lucky on one scratcher at the 7-Eleven, then he's, oh, wait, he's from Baltimore, the Royal Farms, (laughs) you know, we get another movie. But no, I mean, like, if if you, for a movie that, again, I would maybe give, I don't know, two and a half stars to, just because, like, it didn't work out for me that much, I, I am still more excited to see whatever he does next than... I, I don't I don't know name name another director and Edward you know. Schultz. Oh fuck! No. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm, I'll push that button. I don't mind. Yeah, if if you had told like <laughs> yeah, I mean even even like the the one Trey Edward Schultz movie that I saw, if you were like okay, you could get more of that. Like, yeah, I would rather see whatever this guy's gonna do than the next Ari Aster. And I loved both Hereditary Whoa. and Midsummer. But I feel well, I feel like here's the thing. I said no, like you. when we talked about <laughs> Midsummer, like hey. This feels like you just said like, oh, you guys were cool with the weird part of Hereditary. So what if I just make the whole movie that? Whereas Nicholas Ash Bateman is like, I don't give a fuck if you're not cool with it. That's the whole goddamn movie. We're coming out the gate with this. And then I'm just like, oh, okay, I want to see your progression. Because now part of me is like, is, is, is. What's the ceiling? Sure. Right. Like is, is, I can't even, I just said Ari Aster. Is Ari Aster just going to do like. I'm going to find another weird thing like out of the, the book of the demons or the, you know, I'm going to find like another weird ritual somewhere and I'm going to make that creepy and I'm going to tie it to grief. No, I don't, yeah. you know, possibly. Yeah. And I may still love it, but like, I'm so much more interested to see whatever spills out of the mind of, of, of Nicholas Ash Baseman, Bateman. Yeah. Because like, I, I feel like this Astros is fucking crazy. Like gonna, I, I, I don't know. I, I agree with you completely because mm-hmm. I feel like there's an emotional, uh, resonance and there's an emotional at least attempt by Nicholas Ash Bateman at all levels of this movie to really uh, capture something and capture something that will move you even if it doesn't succeed with all viewers I mean 
someone like Ari Aster, I think he's just going to make the most kind of overly diagrammatic remake of Rosemary's Baby that, yep. you know, is, is like, <laughs> I, Wait, I, no, I, I is like, that happening? Oh, I have no idea. Oh, okay, I'm sure it will at some point, but like, it, it's definitely, you know, someone like him has this, there's a cruelty to those kinds of movies. There's and there's a certain kind of incuriosity as well about the characters. And that was the kind of thing that I really connected with about the wanting mayor is that I felt uh, compelled by these characters, even as they are kind of relating information about this world as well. I felt like there there's a, a there's a grief and there's a kind of a tricky emotionality to the entire movie that is almost like, it's almost overwhelming in in some ways. I feel like you know, for all of the uh, the econo- the the economy and the innovation on display with the visual effects, those performances really hit hard and are really punching above their weight as well in terms of the amount that they're communicating. Um, and someone who can direct actors like that, I feel like I feel like that's maybe my main problem with people like Ari Aster is I think that you know. It's a truism, like horror movie directors should just go to therapy. I truly think Ari Aster <laughs> just like kind of like inflicts on his audiences what he doesn't want to make people in his personal life deal with. Um, I don't know that he has much else to say other than that, you know, his I mean, mother never loved him, like that kind of thing. Midsummer was like about his ex-girlfriend <laughs> too. Like he's been kind of on the record about how much things have been lifted from his from his life, or it may have been hereditary. I'm I'm not sure. It, there was just some weird stuff about his ex-girlfriend. <laughs> I if, it, if hereditary is about his ex-girlfriend, then there's definitely some weird stuff <laughs> going on there. <laughs> Uh, I'm probably incorrect about that in some No, way. no, I, I believe Midsommar <laughs> probably. I, I, it, it is one of those things. It's like sometimes you see a director who has uh, a certain kind of craft to his images, but doesn't know, like, he's too busy making the image. He doesn't look at what's in it. Yeah. Um, and and that's, that's Astro for me. But that's not, you know, someone like Bateman, who I think is sometimes so concerned with making the the characters land that, you know, I, I mean, it says everything. He spent so long crafting these visual effects and these, these digital matte paintings and they're out of focus half the time, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I love what this has become. I, I can keep doing this. <laughs> you just want to shit on Ari Aster some more. That, that, I, that, that brings me up into a point of like how much, uh, <laughs> I, I guess I guess a lot of it is uh, is animation, but like when they do kind of a soft focus on a character in the foreground and the background is completely blurred, and I'm like, how many <laughs> hours of of hard labor did someone go through just for someone to put a filter on top of that and go, yeah, we're not going to see it's any like, okay, of those. Have you details. have you fully rendered in painstaking detail the uh, the cityscape of uh, Withrin? Yes. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So the this was shot with a um a 50 millimeter lens at a 0.7 or a 1.7 f-stop. So what we really need you to do is blur the shit out of it. Because yeah. we're really not doing deep focus here. This is a razor thin depth of field and it's like okay, great. Yeah, here just let's apply the blur filter. There you go. God damn it. <laughs> I wish you had told me this 50 hours ago. But I mean that's I mean it's it's the, it's that kind of it's that kind of I'm going to shit on Marvel again. So everyone get your beers ready. I mean, it's that kind of like, I, I prefer that obviously. And I love that. That is 
possibly a conversation that was had to the kind of like infinite depth of field catalog lighting of like a Marvel film. You know, I, I like that. I know that that was important to someone to have that right in the background and then to, to then realize like, Oh, right. But the character is the focus. So let's, you know, yeah. Let's yeah. Put some bokeh on that. Well, it, it's funny, you know, COVID kind of comes around all, all, all cylinders, I guess, in, in this way, but, uh, I'm mixing my metaphors cause it's getting real late, but anyways, <laughs> um, I, I noticed recently, I guess within the last three or four months, while the NFL has been on, which, you know, it had its heyday yesterday, uh, last night, um, (laughs) that they decided to start doing soft focus on all of their camera angles because obviously there are no people or not a lot of people in the audience. And so they don't want to show like quarter filled stadiums. And I started noticing like on NFL broadcasts, I was like, I can see these players really crisp and like the background is blurred. And I'm I guess I'm just so used to them going full focus on both the foreground and the background that I've never noticed that like there's an actual cameraman pulling focus on some of these scenes. And I'm just like, whoa wait, they're blurring the backgrounds right now. I'm like, that's a fucking choice that I never even realized was a thing in the NFL broadcast and, and yeah. stuff like that. So yeah, you don't think of those games as being directed. No, it's, it's, it's very odd to see that mm. and be like, that is a choice being made to blur out the backgrounds of the audience. I'm just like, holy shit. Okay. I forgot that <laughs> that's, that's a thing that can happen. Well, who won last night? Jesus Christ! That was. Are you I was, serious? No, oh, yeah, okay. New England. Yeah, yeah. The, Tom Brady. Wait, playing? New England. I'm oh, sorry. I said New England. <laughs> it's just Tom Brady. Uh, no, Tampa Bay. <laughs> it, it was just him. It was just yeah, him on the field. I mean, I mean, it might as well. Uh, him and uh, Gronkowski basically outscored the uh, the Chiefs. So you know, I guess it w- it was a, a pitch and catch between the two of them. Yeah. So I thought this I, is football. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. A catch. <laughs> catch, catch is baseball, Bill. Even I know that. No, 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 no but in, in football, that is definitely a term. Well, wow, that's bullshit. Yeah. Football should get its own shit, like its own name, because we all know the real football takes place in <laughs> Britain. Football. That's true. I'm, yeah. you know, I, I'm actually, I was born in England and moved to Massachusetts when I was 13 something oh, like that so oh, so i had yeah. celebrated the the football like any uh like any brit who actually resents the the institution of american football and i watched <laughs> la i watched la confidential instead look look uh, the beautiful game took over the top spot as the most paid player when uh it, it's not christian it's uh why can't i remember his name right now Pele? uh no 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 the <laughs> other contemporary about. uh uh Soccer player that's really Hold fucking solo. <laughs> God damn it. Y'all are useless. Mia him. Oh Messi? Just, yeah, Lionel Lionel Messi yeah. uh signed a contract, I guess, for like five hundred and thirteen million dollars or something like that, which kind of ousted can uh you, can you even imagine kicking a ball so hard that people want to pay <laughs> you five hundred and thirteen million dollars to do it? I mean, or throwing a ball yeah. in the terms of Mahomes. So, you know, either way. But yeah, 
that's well, that's almost uh, makes that's you think about superstar. yeah makes you think about the whole institution doesn't it <laughs> do, you, do you realize that that he could fund like i don't know it's like a hundred movies from this director yeah. and you're, still you're, have like four hundred million dollars <laughs> left over yeah what, what the no. fuck is happening what i was about to i was about to say you, you're you're thinking of that in terms of uh the annapurna pictures like oh yeah let me just let me just give money to all these fucking artists yeah, yeah no much. i mean i mean look i, I think megan I think, ellison could lose twenty thousand dollars on axe you know like <laughs> i i think if you give 20 million dollars to paul thomas anderson there are worse bets in life that that's gonna like have a decent return on your investment i just uh, you know I, I i don't think she's losing a lot of money i'm about I mean, to pull a mother on this episode <laughs> michael's just gonna leave i was gonna say we out. have we have crossed the rubicon into 10 o'clock which is around the time where i start to lose it so we should get real cranky and hangry. We can yeah. start. We can start wrapping it up, bringing it back to. Did you say you were getting hangry, here? Michael? Yes, I, I thought he said hangry. <laughs> he's hankering for some food to make his anger go away. Um, I'm gonna murder you. Go ahead. <laughs> I gotta hope that Daniel Zimmerman gets to you first. Um, <laughs> They're fork. So anyway, the wanding mare. Uh, do we have any final thoughts or lingering opinions or questions or statements to make about the wanding mare, uh, Isaac? Um, yeah, you know, I mean, I we've gotten to talk about quite a few different aspects of it, and I'm happy for that. Uh, I'm happy that you know when the when the film was kind of put out, there's also that 30 minute documentary that kind of goes along with it so you can actually see kind of the way that the visual effects are woven in and i found oh, yeah. that i am really I am really compelling well. i That's cannot wait well to see now. that i need oh to it's see it's that. so cool it's so cool it's you know east coast road trip and they are able to kind of turn parking lots into these sweeping kind of ruined vistas and it's like um such a kind of a testament to everything that that crew accomplished and i think that that i'm glad that they have that as well that the bateman created that so that they could kind of see some small sliver of the years that they put towards this. Um, I, you know, I, I just think that, you know, we need more directors who will take big swings at the indie level, especially right now when the mid budget picture has been kind of erased uh, from Hollywood, like to, to have filmmakers who'll really go for it. They'll risk a lot and put years of their life into something that they truly believe in. Um, I would be remiss if I didn't mention that, uh, Bateman wrote uh, a pretty beautiful, I thought, piece on Talkhouse about the connection between the Wanting Mare and Wuthering Heights, uh, mm -hmm. to which to which it owes the name Witherin. Um, <laughs> and 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 you know that I thought was another interesting kind of way to look at it as this story about kind of the ways that we memorialize people and the ways that you know so much of memory and dreaming and lineage uh is about remembering who we are from people who've come before us and i you know i thought that it was just so great to see a film that weaves through all of these different ideas that's also just kind of filled with its own little vision about um to me like climate change and, and human greed and wars over resources that aren't recognizing how beautiful something can be outside of its use uh and I'm weaving that through the romance as well, like what people mean to each other versus what they can do for each other. 
uh, and it not being entirely pure, the, the kind of loss and longing that can kind of get shacked up to that, the longer that you're kind of wanting something that you don't have and you're not happy where you are. Um, it maybe just hit me harder in quarantine as well. Like I'm super not happy where I am a lot of the time. Um, <laughs> I, I think that, and I think a lot of people can resonate with that right now. Um, but to me, like, you know, for all of the, the, the heaviness of it and the, the heft of it, there's something very hopeful as well to me about the way that these characters are inching towards realizing the value of what's around them and the people who are around them too. I love that dance sequence that's late in the film that really captures these two people who are finding a kind of a way back to each other that they assumed didn't exist anymore. And maybe doesn't, but you know, for the night. I mean, he does it. say that he's, that she's never going to see him again. I wonder about that. I mean, yeah, I do is wonder that just about like that. a line? Is that just like something smooth to say? Because it's pretty smooth. That's she did burn say. the ticket, so. She, the ticket. she also there. believes that uh, Ira got out. I mean, you know. As well, like such an act of love at the end. The sister yeah. choosing to let her believe that. Yeah, him um, choosing not to say and the sister choosing not to say. And I mean, yeah, it's pretty crazy. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know. There's a lot in there. I really value the chance to talk to you guys about it as well, because I completely, completely understand this movie leaving a lot of people cold. Um, and I was just, you know, it feels like a little gift to me personally, because it just hit me in all the right places. Um, but the fact that it's kind of stirred up this much conversation, especially with you guys coming out at it from a more, a more mixed kind of critical evaluation I think that speaks to the fact that, you know, this is not some empty, indulgent, you know, experiment, the likes of which we see far too much from young emerging, especially male writer directors. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> yeah, I, well, I'm not gonna, I'm not going to like hit Sam Levinson out of nowhere, but, you know, they're <laughs> just it, it's it, it's in the culture. You know, there's the, yeah. that myth, that myth of the white male auteur that this film has become unfortunately related to through our discussion of Caruth earlier. Um, I, I think that the wanting mayor really does earn so many points for me for being about something and for being about kind of this, this world that it knows it will never fully depict. There's kind of a longing that's metatextual there as well for me about this director who wants to capture all that he can of this dream that he might never be, have the money to put fully on screen. Well, that's so, that's about what I got. <laughs> uh, how about you guys? I just um I think about I think about watching the little things and how much <laughs> I didn't like that movie and or no I like how I think about I think here I let me let me start that whole that whole train of thought over. I think about watching the little things and I think about how I came away from that movie being like it was fine. I don't know if I really liked Rami Malek's performance, but it was all right. And then I like stopped watching this movie and I was like, ugh, like, ah, just that didn't work for me at all. But yet the conversation that I had about this movie was calm and reasoned and, and shot through with shimmering gold ore veins of, of deep affection. And, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Admiration for what was being tried here. And my conversation about the little things devolved into me calling for Rami Malek's head and talking about <laughs> what a fucking waste of time that movie was. And I think that that's, 
I think that that's like the 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 magic of watching a movie and then having the opportunity to talk about it is that it can crystallize whether or not you liked something out of a sense of inertia um and therefore actually hated it but just didn't want to invest the time to understand that about yourself or whether you disliked something only to realize that you only felt that way because you could see like the potential and there was so much that you liked that you wish you could like it more. Yeah. And so that's where I'm at with this movie. And that is again, why I say that like, even though I have liked unabashedly movies by other directors, if you were to give me a choice between seeing more from them and seeing more here, I would, I would go for here. I would, I would prefer to see what um, Nicholas Ash Bateman does. Hell yeah. Yeah. I also had to look up who Sam Levinson was because I didn't know. Oh, sorry. And uh, um, and uh, I I did Euphoria and Assassination Nation and Malcolm and Marie and I'm just like, oh boy. Yeah, Euphoria quite a body good. of work. <laughs> Zendaya's great. I love Zendaya. Um, yeah, yeah she was I, I didn't mean to take... I, I, she, she was famously Michi. Um yeah, I, I didn't mean to take a random swipe shot at, at one Yeah, person, you did. It's fine. Did. Okay, so so I meant to take a random a random swipe shot. It's it's ten o'clock, um, but but you know it, it it is just one of those things where I totally I totally respect all of the diversity of opinions here. But I I love that we're in agreement about this being a tantalizing movie in a lot of ways in terms of what it represents for that director. Um, and just for indie filmmaking. Any other final thoughts before we wrap up? All right. Your time is up. (laughs) So that is, that is, that is odd. Oh boy. It's uh, the right time to end this. Uh, That is all for today. (laughs) That is our review of the wanting mare. Um, and uh, uh what? Yeah. Uh, you can become a patron of this by going to patreon.com slash film state show to give us your money. And don't forget that you can go to movie.com slash film stage for a free 30 day trial. Dead pigs are coming. Um, is coming to movie. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All just right. Cut, just cut the audio right when you say that. That's the last. <laughs> Dead pigs are coming. Um, on top of uh, stories we tell and submarine. Um, so check it out again, mubi.com slash film stage. Michael Snydell, what are we talking about next week? We are talking about Minari. Okay. Um, love that movie. Yeah, Michael loved that movie too, right? Hey, that's that's the kid that died a violent death in Walking Dead. Hey. The kid? It's Steve Yoon. He's like, yeah. gotta be at least 30-something, right? Yeah, he's an adult. <laughs> and he's also he's fantastic right. in Minari. And, um... Burning. burning i was about to say i know he's good and burning yeah he's older than i am bill oh wait i'm sorry judas and the black messiah is is next week oh uh, well not... now i'm all keyed up for minari now i got a no, gear no, 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 shift no. judas and the black messiah we have a great guest lined up it will be available on hbo max on friday um I'm, I'm yeah, that's really what, that's what they said about the little things wait <laughs> so is it minari or no, judas? It's judas and the black judas messiah, black messiah. Oh, what the fuck i i, I Come on, it's not that difficult to adjust your brain. <laughs> Those are two very different movies, I assume. They, they are. They are. <laughs> one is about Fred Hampton, and one is about Korean Americans. 
they're both fantastic as well. I'm I'm looking forward to seeing it. Yeah, yeah, I can't wait. Um, so that'll be on HBO Max for anyone who yes. has it. Um, and uh, that's uh, that's that's great. Choosing the Black Messiah. Check it out next week when we talk about it. Now let's tell the fine people at home where we can be found between now and the next time that we are uh, in their ears. We begin with uh, our guest, of course, Isaac. How? Where can people find your work online? Uh, I am a freelance writer, so I am wherever people will take me. Um, happily uh and, but you can find my work uh, kind of linked through my twitter which is just my name isaac feldberg i'm i'm assuming it'll be written in the the episode description somewhere yes but uh, only phonetically <laughs> only phonetically <laughs> like a dictionary okay. entry <laughs> so so take, take dear listeners take that and employ siri throw yourself on her mercy and you can find me online via twitter uh and my email is linked there if anyone has additional thoughts on The Wanting Mare. This is a movie I will talk to you, anyone and everyone about. All right. So if you've been looking for an in to slide into Isaac's DMs or email, you know. Please. I'm so lonely. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. I'm, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm, I'm very happy. I'm very happy. I'm just very, very tired. I, 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 I also am very tired, which is why I just <laughs> had to say I yeah. six times to get to that sentence. <laughs> Bill Graham. Yeah. You can find me making all the uh, horse noises. <laughs> oh, I'm so tired. Uh, I've been up for a long time. Uh, you can find me making all the procurements for King. <laughs> I gotta make up a word. What is happening? <laughs> Uh, Bill Graham can be found online at Cable BFG <laughs> on Instagram. He's Billstagram. Was he trying to say like charcuterie board? Like I, I, oh. I almost need to know what procurement has to do with and king payment. That's the word. You're gonna, you're gonna. Okay, Bill will be sacrificing people to king payment. There um, you go. There you go. Sacrifices. Yes. Remember, uh, that's at Cable BFG. <laughs> And Billstagram on Instagram. And of course, he uh, mixes it up so- in the Slack channel, as he always says. <laughs> See, I could do you guys' jobs for you. Jesus Christ. If I gotta. Uh, Michael Snydell, what about yourself? You can find me on Twitter at, at Snydell, on Letterboxd, on the Slack channel. Uh, yeah, that's all I'm going to say right now. I don't think I have any reviews this week. I should probably about to say, check wait, that. You, you've been at Sundance for like 14 years and you don't have any reviews? No, I, did, I didn't review anything. Oh uh, God, so you just did that for Sundance. fun? Yeah, it, it, didn't, it didn't really work because a lot of stuff expired because I fell asleep watching it and then it was gone the next oh, day. Oh, your sleep problem is still happening? My sleep problems are still happening. Well, I'll, I'll figure them out at some point. To learn more about Michael's sleep problems, listen to our <laughs> top 10 of the year episode, which dropped two weeks ago. Um, as for me, uh, I can be found online everywhere at Brian J. Rowan. Uh, go to SchmidtSpirits.com for information about the distillery that I'm talking about all the goddamn time. And uh, of course, you could find my writing and all episodes of this here podcast at TheFilmStage.com. So that is all for today, I believe. Uh, Join us next week when we will be talking about Judas and the Black Messiah, which once again is on HBO Max. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us. 
and tune in next time.